This is Sarah Bordeaux, and you are listening to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. On this episode, we're bringing you a huddle from our sister publication, Adventure Park Insider. Like all of us, the aerial adventure industry has been greatly impacted by the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, and operators are uncertain what adaptations will need to be made in order to manage in the new normal that is fast approaching all of us. On this huddle, we joined forces with Tom Leahy of Leahy & Associates, Inc. to lead a question storming session. We gathered a few industry insiders to share what questions are arising for them as they consider what it will take to reopen operations. We asked the more than 200 listeners on this call to chime in as well, sharing their questions, insights, and thoughts in the chat during the call. The purpose of this huddle was to frame the challenge ahead of us, and it is a challenge, but one that we can certainly overcome. We'll kick it off with Sam and Adventure Park Insider publisher, Olivia Rowan. Thank you all for joining us today for our second Adventure Park Insider Huddle. My name is Olivia Rome. I'm the publisher, and along with Sarah Badeev and Rick Call from Adventure Park Insider, we will be your Zoom hosts, and um, we're lucky to have Tom Leahy of Leahy Associates, Inc., um, who will also help guide us in our conversation today. Um, We will have the call facilitated by Paul Talner, who is also a leadership coach, um, owner of High Peaks Group. Paul, you want to? Sure. Hello. So the purpose of this huddle, uh, as Olivia mentioned, is to share what we're learning at this unprecedented time and to keep the community strong through transparency and connection. Uh, The call will be an opportunity to share, ask questions, and brainstorm on where we go from here. We have a lot to cover. We're going to get to as much as we can. Um, So let's... Paul, let's just get right to it. Okay, so the nuts and bolts of this is we'll break up the next hour into three segments, right? So we'll tackle the topics of uh, equipment and amenities, the training protocols, and guest protocols, and how they're changing in this uh, new world we're living in. We've asked a few folks from the industry to kickstart uh, each of these topics with us, and then we'll ask for your feedback uh, each, uh, each segment as well. Uh, so we'll go ahead and uh, pass it off now to uh, Tom. Hi, everybody. Um, so let's take a moment to front load our task here. First, the, this disease, uh, COVID first appeared in our national news in December. Four months later, we are just reaching the peak, but in different regions at different times. Response to this pandemic has been delayed by lack of planning and inappropriate effective action. Our industry has already seen negative reactions of government, media, and general public in relation to the accidents, fatalities we've seen. This alone has placed tremendous pressure on our programs. Now, COVID-19 is gonna be around for a long time. At this point, there's no general immunity to this virus. The risk will not reduce until there's a large percentage of people with some form of antibodies, either through exposure and recovery or vaccination. The risk, our programs bring us close together as we laugh, shout, sweat, bump, touch, shake, zip, belay, and rescue. Close and prolonged contact are primary factors in transmission followed by physical contact. The lack of PPE and hygiene will increase the risk. Fear of touching and contact will likely create hazard for some of our more typical safety protocols being missed or skipped. The challenge, if we are to operate in any form, whether it's traditional, recreational, um, we will need to have a solid risk management plan and work closely to meet the needs of our participants, government, and our own programs. We will need to be all in this together. And this will be the first of many huddles to try and sort through the myriad of challenges ahead of us. The intent of the call just today is to frame out these challenges facing operators when we uh, reopen for business. We're calling this step one, um, and Tom, will you explain step two? At the end of the Zoom, we're gonna work offline to gather the questions and comments that we gather today and propose smaller working groups that people can join for a deeper dive into specific areas. This is step two. Yep, and there will be a step three, which is uh, down the road, we'll gather in another API huddle uh, to share what the groups have have come up with. So stay tuned for that. Let's go ahead and get started with uh, today's huddle, which is to open up the discussion and dialogue uh, and look first at the equipment and amenities that uh, we use and offer. uh, And we'll think through uh, what needs to be considered when we reopen. And we have invited a a couple of folks to share um, their 
um, their insights. Um, it's not to say that any of them are the experts. They're going to help us get in that right frame of mind for our audience to be able to share along with this topic. So, um, John, we're going to start with you, John Hines of Sandy Springs. John, what thought process are you going through in terms of additional PPE, such as face masks, disposable gloves, face shields? What, what have you thought through? Like, like all the operators, losing sleep over this one. <laughs> and, it, and it seems to change every day, you know, because um, the, the, the framework that I've been trying to, to, to use to look at all of this is a, it's a three-legged stool. Um, the first leg of that stool is that the, that the health um, precautions that we take have to actually work. They have to be effective. Uh, the second leg of the stool is that our customers and staff need to perceive them as effective. So, so even if you have procedures that are 100% effective, if your customers or staff don't think that they are, that in the long run, it's not going to help you. So that's the second leg of the stool is perception. The third leg of the stool is, is do the strategies scale? Uh, do they scale uh, over time? Can we afford them? Um, do they scale in terms of volume and speed? Uh, if we're lucky enough to get back to 50% or 60% or 80% or even 100% of the, the level of activity that our, our business is used to, does the strategy scale with it? Does it or, or does it bottleneck uh, or does it fall apart and get sloppy and become ineffective? So that's the, that three-legged stool is how I and, and my team have been trying to evaluate this stuff. And I'm still collecting ideas. And so, I'm, so, so Olivia, thank you. And all of you on this call, thank you for doing this. Uh, because I completely agree that, that we're all in this together. Uh, there's no, uh, uh, there's no uh, uh, pride of authorship and great ideas. We, we need great ideas that, that allow us to create that three-legged stool of what's effective, what's scalable, and what's perceived as, as effective. Thank you, John, for sharing. Um, and just to what you were saying, John, you know, I was talking to an operator who has a um, was thinking about the cleaning protocols, and he said, to your perception thing, he said, you know, we, we are hearing now if it's green, it ain't clean to the perception and that they actually have to smell the bleach now. They have to smell the cleaning and they, so it's, it's more than he said for me just to say, I'm doing all this extra cleaning. He said, now they, I need to make sure they actually believe me and see it and smell it. And um, so he's sort of considering that level of, um, you know, what he has to do. So, um, Andrew, uh, Andrew Miller is with Challenge Towers. Andrew, what goes through your mind when thinking through the amenities you offer and how you might need to adjust adding sanitizing stations, bathroom, um, extra bathroom cleaning, water stations, you know, with, with this ongoing COVID threat? Thanks, Livia. I think um, John's right about, I like his analogy of a three-legged stool and, and having to manage kind of the perceptions of, of the different people that are involved. You know, I think as we're looking and evaluating this, um, you know, there's a lot of information out there and I think it'll become more and more clear as discussions of just opening up and stay at home orders um, being relaxed uh, in the coming weeks. But, um, you know, some of the things that we're talking about are really trying to move all the transactional processes as much as possible to an online environment. So those can all be done ahead of time uh, and, and prior to people arriving on site. I think, um, you know, creating those um, cues to maintain physical distance in the places where we can do that. So, so, you know, creating, you know, and marking out places where people should queue and stand and just thinking about the overall operational flow of how people go through the facility, you know, clearly having uh, increased hand washing protocol, increased um, access to things like hand sanitizer will be important and frequent cleaning. Um, and then looking at, you know, what PPE is going to get added in, I think, you know, it's a given that gloves and masks will will be, you know, probably both for staff and for guests will be the norm. 
Um, I think looking at, um, you know, reducing the, the total occupancy of the facility, um, looking at regulating occupancy on something like a canopy tour may be necessary. Um, so those are various things that we're looking at. You know, I think an aerial park may have fewer challenges in terms of trying to maintain physical distance, um, whereas a, a canopy tour is going to be much different. And so it may be that the canopy tour model moves to one where uh, you're booking within a family group, and so you no longer register as an individual where we might have a blended group of guests from several different parties, but instead you buy a, a four or six person pass. And then having very specific protocol staff about how those groups are managed different uh, than, than how they would uh, normally facilitate these types of activities. So I think there's a whole range of, of things that we need to look at in terms of you know, our, our own policies and procedures, how we move people throughout the facility, um, and, and ultimately how we manage physical distancing within that environment. Um, the, I think the challenging parts are gonna be, and I've seen some questions already pop up, is, is what, how are we then you know, managing equipment and PPE that's getting cycled through users? And I think that, that's what I'm interested to hear thoughts um, from other people about. But those are some of the things that we're looking at is, you know, how do we manage the flow of people? Um, you know, what kind of PPE is going to be necessary? Um, and then what type of, of risk really are, are we exposing either our guests or our staff to? Um, and how can we monitor, um, you know, to some degree, both of those groups um, as they you know, move and enter and, and uh, participate in activities in our facility. Um, so, you know, looking at um, staff in particular and what's the protocol for staff on a daily basis to validate whether they um, may have any, any beginning symptoms um, that, that could suggest exposure to COVID. Um, and, and what that looks like, given that widespread testing really isn't likely going to be available, nor would it be practical to do that on a recurring basis for staff. You know, can we develop our own protocol that is a combination of taking your temperature on a regular basis, of, um, you know, smelling, uh, you know, some sort, something that's odorous, you know, like a essential oil of some sort to ensure that you still have the ability to smell and, and looking at some other um, potential ways for staff to validate before they come to the facility, you know, for their shift, that they don't have anything that might suggest uh, symptoms. Thank you so much, Andrew. Those are great insights. Yeah. Um, Paul, we're going to, I understand you've got a, someone from the floor. Yeah, uh, Bauman, did you uh, you uh, raise your hand and wanted to uh, make a quick statement? Go ahead. We opened up the floor to comments like this one from Bauman Azarm of Outdoor Ventures. I'm saying um, a new, as we all know, um, Italy will was one of the first countries that got hit and they have a huge adventure park um, uh, program and uh, areas in the northern Italy where they got hit. So the um, Adventure Park Association of Italy just put out a uh, document that goes into uh, operation with COVID in mind. Um, and I'm in the process of actually translating that and, and about three quarters of the way done. So once I do, I will uh, post it um, at the ACCT website. Um, but one of the interesting things is uh, they are actually have tested uh, steam, uh, what they call dry steam cleaning. And so with a commercial steaming machine, they actually bring it and they're able to steam sterilize um, harnesses. So these are textiles, uh, as well as gloves and as well as equipment. And it, it can, uh, as long as the steamer heats up to a certain temperature, it happens quickly. And um, they call these commercial units dry steamers because they use very little water. So they dry very quickly as well. Um, and um, it seems like a, a great solution to uh, disinfecting um, equipment. Great. That's, that's tremendous. Um, Super and I interesting. Think, yeah, I'm going to certainly learn a lot from other industries. Um, so, yeah, Paul? For sure. Yeah, thanks everybody for those really great comments. I'm sure people, and I can see the chat 
uh, is is really active, and I really appreciate everybody chiming in with their thoughts. Those the perspectives we just heard are two of many that, uh, and there are over you know close to 200 people on the call. We'd love to hear uh, some of your perspectives as well. So. Um, we're going to do a form of brainstorming called question storming. So we want to gather the questions that are coming up for you as you listen to this discussion about equipment and amenities. Let's move on. We're going to move on to section two, um, which is training um, and, uh, and discussing training protocols. Um, when our guides return to work, social distancing is likely to become part of the new normal, whether you're a facilitated, guided, or self-guided program. So, uh, Rohan, you ready, bud? Um, Rohan sure. Shahani is with ChallengeWorks. Uh, Rohan, what are your considerations in terms of adjusting your training protocols? So I have a, a number of questions that I'm kind of looking at with training protocols right now. And I think the number one thing that is kind of helping me at the moment is I'm really trying to, I guess, forget or disregard everything that I've traditionally held true about um, qualifications, length, timelines, and curriculum, and how we're delivering it. Um, with, you know, I, I, I really like a lot of the comments that were made about uh, procedures that we're gonna be putting in place, and I think it's, it's easy to, to acknowledge, but then hard to conceptualize how much training time it will take to accommodate your staff to these new procedures, right? How are you gonna train the, the lowest level operator or camp facilitator to be good about interacting with all this new PPE, cleaning masks, how does that work and how does that look? And then additionally, we're adding some new skill sets, right? And I think in terms of, um, if you look at the CDC website, right, there's a lot of great guidelines on how you should disinfect and clean textiles, which is now a whole other set of procedures and PPE that is involved with those procedures. Um, I'm starting to ask myself, in a training day, if I'm now out doing a staff training of some type, um, how much more time per day do I need to spend just managing equipment? Um, uh, how much more time per day do I need to spend cleaning and maintaining? Um, one of the things I'm really excited about is I think uh, everybody's seen like the, the really scary falling apart shed with spiders and gross equipment in it that doesn't look great. I, I really feel like we're going to be great as an industry at moving past that into better training and, and better storage and better management of our equipment. And it's going to create a lot of barriers. Um, one of my big questions right now is a lot of my clients are uh, in very rural areas or in areas where there's not a front country infrastructure. So if now we're doing a lot more washing of hands, a lot more washing of equipment, uh, do they have the ability to do that? What's the distance between the course and the hand washing station? If uh, we're washing hands and there's potentially contaminated water or water that has had certain things in it removed, where is that running off to? Um, in my jurisdiction, you know, there's there, the two guidelines that you're, they're really looking at is, are you near a body of water? Is, when, is your runoff going into uh, some sort of watershed? Um, so things like French drains can work, but there's, again, a lot, of, a lot of infrastructure pieces for everybody from the smallest camp to the largest adventure park. Um, and then, you know, separate from that on, on operations, the, the big one for me that's, I think, the hardest challenge right now is um, one of my friends mentioned, and I do think he's right, that, you know, counties, states, and local jurisdictions are probably going to drive a lot of um, what it is we have to do as far as social distancing. You know, they'll set the terms, and we're going to have to be in line with that. Well, you know, in a rescue training, um, when an essential function of the training involves close contact, what sort of waiver is available for that or what sort of considerations will be given to that? You know, in uh, my jurisdiction, rescue professionals, so the fire department and people like that have a set of criteria that they're supposed to meet and separate training criteria that they're supposed to meet um, in order to be considered those rescue professionals. Is that something we're gonna have to look at? Is that something we're gonna have to meet? Are essentially we gonna have to train, you know, our our 21-year-old brand new, brand new um, rescue-trained guide at a much higher level because of that. Um, these are some of the things that I'm pondering right now. Cool. Thanks, um, Deb. You here? I am. Deb, cool. All right. Yeah, hi, Deb. So you, hi. you're hi. So you're running facilitator training online at this point, and I'm I'm yes. curious what you're thinking about moving ahead <laughs> for training, but how you'll conduct hands-on parts of your training going forward. I'm, that's why I'm here, Tom and everybody. 
right now we're completely online and I putting my this, these classes online has been as you can imagine overwhelming being in this this field I don't know uh, that's why I'm <laughs> are there questions that come up around you for it like just you know a list of you know how am I going to do it when I get there what are you chewing on yes and with the business waivers changing the medical uh, background which just led my brain to go, holy cow, is there going to be some bias if we read that somebody was hospitalized for COVID? What do we do with that? I mean, I, I think the main things that I'm right along with what everybody was sharing, just how are we going to disinfect harnesses? How are we going to disinfect ropes? Changing waivers uh, to update. Uh, somebody wrote in on the chat uh, about that. So, yeah, I, I am right in it don't have any answers. Well, and that's, that's okay. We didn't turn to any, you know, this is new for all of us and yeah. nobody has the rule book. Nobody has the answers. We've never been here. So um, there shouldn't be pressure for anybody that they have the answers because, you know, mm -hmm. that. So today's idea is, is developing this running list of the types of things we're going to have to think through. Um, and it's a scary list that's growing right here yeah. <laughs> in the chat room. Yeah. Um, I do see a few people and, and, you know, we also do a magazine for the mountain resort um, industry and we've had these huddle calls with that industry and they have their adventure parks in the summer and then they have the skiing in the winter and facilities and hotels. So they're thinking through all that and those operators are looking, as I'm seeing some of these comments, at other industries and for sure we should be watching closely Disney um, they have tons of money and manpower. They will be thinking through all of this. They will be open and they will figure it out. Um, so we don't need to start from scratch so much. We can look to the hotel industry, the airlines. I've already seen the airlines coming out with standard um, icons and copy that will be standard as part of their customer um, education on their cleaning efforts and all that. So I think you know, because the global, you know, economy is, is, you know, all the globally, every business everywhere, every industry is dealing with this. We should in our smaller breakout groups, when we form these after the call, start researching other industries and, and Bauman brought up a great example of even in Italy with, with our own, you know, industry, you know, sister industry yeah. over there that they're getting into it. And we're seeing some of this play out live, Olivia, aren't we? With the uh, uh, food industry, the grocery stores and, and other, uh, things that we encounter every day still that are adapting on the fly. And, right. and I think if anyone's been to a grocery store, which we all have, we've seen those change on an almost daily basis, uh, the different yeah. uh, protocols and, and things that we have to encounter. And Mandy Stewart brought that up. She said, how do we consistently effectively, you know, train um, um, for these new protocols as a community when, when things are constantly changing? And, and you know, uh, Paul was bringing up that we looked at and talked to the grocery industry and they said, Literally, it changes every week. Every week, they tell their staff, here's the new layer of protocol. This week, actually, you're mandatory masks. Next week, you're going to have masks and gloves. And these are real things that are happening right now. And the grocery industry, large national chains, they um, temperature check all their staff at the start of the, the, um, the shift. Now there's research, Tom was saying, where your fever shows up a little more prominent end of day. So is it a beginning and an end of day check? And these sound so unusual for us to adapt to but we have adapted in other times in our history to new behaviors um you know whether it was after 9-11 or or when mass shootings happen and you see how it changes our, the way we deal with our schools and so we do we can adapt and so we just need to identify how we need to adapt and um and and be ready for it there's an interesting Sue uh, Moncaster. Sue Moncaster from Snow King Mountain, Wyoming, jumped in to share her concerns. Um, I am director of sales at Snow King Mountain in Jackson, Wyoming. And uh, my husband and I developed the Tree to Tree Aerial Adventure Park here, the Treetop Adventure. And uh, so, uh, you know, I know we all want to get back to business and make things as safe as we can for our customers. But um, yesterday, I just really had sort of a, I don't know what you call it, esoteric epiphany or something of like, um, you know, that we can make things as safe as we can, but, but 
it's really protecting our employees. You know, one economically, we get one employee sick and then other employees get sick and then everything we've done, boom, we're shut down again. And just um, like, I think we were worrying so much about the guests. I'm just so worried about the employees too. Um, you know, while it, as a business owner, still trying to get back into business and figure this all out. So it's just a conundrum. Thank, thank you, Sue, for sharing. I, I just wanted to say like a, a couple conversations that I've had. One of the things that's kind of been <clears throat> interesting and then also probably I think the biggest overall question that I have is uh, the interesting piece is that this is flexing a lot more of the facilitation skill that I was trained with up front in uh, ways of because a, a lot of the, the comments that were just made right in the end this does go down to how do our individual operators or clients or people want to interact with their guests and when we're implementing these procedures how are we how am i as a training entity going to be consistent uh, when delivering trainings to multiple places and how am i going to be sensitive to those concerns um, you know a lot of counties have very different guidelines so i'm faced with with organizations where in one county uh, this is and this is what's being guided over here it's different over here it's different over here it's different and that's very very hard to reconcile and then um, you know myself as a trainer i have to be feeling good about sending my trainers out i have to feel good about really how i'm going to facilitate evaluating their health every day or what i'm requesting them to do and then i'm going to have to train them to facilitate and be sensitive to that conversation with every single training group with every single different population in every single different um and that's the big that's a big challenge and it's it's like this weird intersection of of inconsistency right where in one state right now everything's good to go you can just go ahead and operate um and in an adjacent one it may not be the case i still don't know how we reconcile that as an industry i don't know where we then unify and say this is what we feel good about it is going to be a super personal choice for operators and for trainers i agree um lori that is a nice uh, what you said is a nice follow-up can we have her talk lori pingle is from ZipZone and adventure development team and she shared her thoughts on guidance from organizations such as the cdc i think that one thing that we and, and myself included keep forgetting is we're thinking about things like are they gonna like are we gonna need to wear masks the gloves thing i hear something different every single day are we gonna need to wear you know rubber gloves um are we gonna need to have face shields are we gonna need to take people's temperatures i don't think that we as a group need to figure that out i think someone's gonna tell us that i think we're gonna get guidance hopefully from the cdc um I know in my state, in Ohio, our health department's doing an amazing job of giving us all the information that they have when they have it. Um, so I feel confident that wherever you are, someone, hopefully, and if they don't tell you, just do what Ohio's doing. So I'm feeling really pretty confident on their information. But um, I, think, I think that's something that we're missing. We're thinking, our staff going to have to wear masks? We don't know that. We're going to figure that out later. And we need to focus on what directly affects our industry. Um, harnessing people and like cleaning our gear um, and I think we also need to like like others have said look to other similar industries um, and see what what those types of people are doing Disney I think is really gonna be a, a good one to follow uh, but but like I said I think someone's gonna be giving us some direction on a bigger societal level and we need to be looking at at our industry level stuff and you know as well Keith uh, Jacob's brought up that um, if there is a mandate to wear masks or gloves or all that, um, you can't get those. <laughs> so yeah. there's there's that supply chain problem. And um, in Keith's comment, he said there where it's Keith, uh, where will you purchase the glove, mask, and cleaning products from major distributors who are all out of stock until June, um, as of a few days ago. So just more to our, our challenges, um, but um, good to know what our challenges are. So we're gonna move on to the final topic of the hour, um, and this is guest protocols. Uh, so many of us feel safe in assuming that the consumer expectation is gonna change, and, and it's gonna be a big change. Uh, this industry has always been very risk aware in terms of our activities, and we've done a good job of explaining safety protocols and procedures to guests, but how will that change with the COVID-19 landscape. So, um, Tom? Yeah, I, I've been chewing on this whole thing 
for a while now. And so it, it, there's so many, it's really helpful to hear everybody's thoughts on this, which is absolutely what I was hoping for. But there are a couple of things that just jump out me really quickly. And one, we're gonna to need to provide a really clear disclosure of risks specifically around COVID. This is gonna include um, notations on release forms, marketing, booking, and what's covered in what we call the original, you know, the, the course briefing when we first meet and greet our guests. Um, PPP, you know, we've, there's always been jokes over the decades about, you know, at some point we're going to have, you know, facilitators wrapped in bubble wrap in order to climb and stuff like that. So there's a, a whole new, now we have a whole new scarier risk that needs to be addressed. We're going to need to explore the risk and mitigation guides and facilitators must check, attach, and adjust participant equipment when they can't do it for themselves. So when we're transferring from one place to the other. And a critical concern is we need to look deeply at physical rescues. When we're conducting a one-to-one -one rescue at height, the guides are closer, making more connections for longer with less protection than doctors and nurses doing a swab for COVID testing. We are more in their face than the doctors are. So guides and guests will be unable to remove the protective gown and wash up immediately. So there, there's really a lot on our plate at this point. Yeah, um, and you've you know you've definitely addressed that that there's a lot and we're um it's going to take uh, several of these discussions to try and draw out all the the different challenges and some of the other things that we talked about and saw coming into us was you know about the waivers needing to disclose the virus risks and it's likely that we'll have to adopt new signage addressing customer education about the risks and our websites as you mentioned tom will need language to prepare them for the risks um, and it's not just the, their risk exposure, but it's now what they may transmit, as Lori said, to our staff um, and to other customers. You know, everybody could be doing the right thing, but it takes the one person who shows up who doesn't care and, and could throw, you know, a wrench into all of your good work and, and uh, in trying to keep staff and the guests um, safe. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to introduce uh, Kima Jarouk. Kima is with Tree Rush Adventures at Fontenelle Forest, did I get that right? Yeah. Um, uh, Kima, you've been drafting operational protocols for your operation well, for a long time, but in visualizing what reopening your park might look like, what process are you going through and what are you thinking in terms of guest safety and, and facilitator safety, guide safety? You know, a lot, of, um, a lot of what everybody else has said are things that have been going through my mind as I visualize opening. And um, I'm sure like the, the idea of the metaphor of the three-legged stool, the other thing that really um, that really impacts me is just thinking about um, our whole society is thinking about reopening right now and what that looks like. Um, the president's um, council is supposed to come up with some ideas today about um, how do you how do you figure out when a when a specific area or a specific county or a specific state is ready to open. Um, governors are creating coalitions to weigh these issues and. Um, and um, the, the governor of California put out a, a six-point um, six guidelines on when he'll know when, when, those, um, when restrictions will relax. So I, I, think that, um, I think that every area is probably going to have to, have to adapt based on um, those, the, the advice of the, of the jurisdiction that they're in, you know, just like Lori was saying. Um, and I think that, um, I think that probably, you know, when I think about what we need to do as an industry, you know, we, we have to think a little bit about what do we do with our equipment, but we also have to think a little bit about what do we do with that whole social distancing place. And that whole social distancing place is, is huge. You know, do you, um, do you, do you start off thinking universal precautions? And do you gradually become less and less restricted as your health officials and your um, and your government officials say that you're able to? There's a so there's a there are a lot of questions that kind of ask in that area, and and I also think about you know the a, a lot will also depend upon the um, the culture of the area where you operate. Um, I think probably the culture of um, Lincoln, Nebraska, or Omaha, Nebraska, might be a whole lot different from um, the culture in Connecticut or Pennsylvania or upstate New York, or, you know, 
New York City or Colorado. You know, there's there's going to be a, there will be a lot of factors that we'll have to think about just industry wide. Thanks, Kima. You're welcome. Nick, we're going to toss it to you um, and uh, Nick Thompson with Climeworks. Nick, what are the top three things on your mind when it comes to um, the changing expectations from your customers? Uh, well, we kind of, we actually kind of had a weird little testing period because we closed a little bit premature because we were worried about some of the procedures that we wanted to put in place and everything else. So we closed for about a week at both of our locations. And these are zipline canopy tours, just so people understand. But um, we closed both our locations, but then we, we put in some procedures that we thought at that time were, were going to be able to safeguard our guests and our, and our staff. And so we reopened again a week later. And we, we were only open for probably four to five days at each location before we, were, we had a mandate from the state um, to, to close down again. But at least gave us a little bit of an inkling of what, how, how it works. And so some of the things we put in place, we weren't as maybe as, as, as looking far ahead to have PPE, own PPE and all that stuff like that. But what we did do is we, we, spread, out our, we spread out our tour times. We looked at all the things that, that, all the touch points that hold the coronavirus the, the longest, glass, plastic, all these things that we're talking about, and then having, and then where, where do we congregate the most at our locations is when we're checking in. And so instead of, and so it's kind of taken away those, those, those things. So we, we spread out our tour time so that the, no, no groups were overlapping in the check-in area. We made our waivers, um, you know, we, we have QR codes that they can scan with their own phone. So they don't have to touch anymore. We don't have any more iPad touching anymore for the, iPad, for the waivers. They can fill it out on their own personal device. We did. We asked. We asked our guests to not pay and uh, only pay with debit and credit cards, so there wasn't cash handling going on for our for our, our 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 staff and our and our guests, just to try to limit some of those touch points. And then obviously the, the additional cleaning, um, the additional cleaning we, we 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 talked about. We took away transportation tours. We took away any of our food offerings or water offerings and asked them to bring their own personal hydration. Um, we did. A, I mean, there's we did a number of things that I think that. Uh, that, that we thought at the time, obviously the most touch surfaces like handlebar we cleaned beforehand. We also did a rotation with our harnesses because we said on harnesses, it says, you know, that fabric, it can live on the fabric. And like I said, I'm not an expert, but it said what we had read at that time, it was fabric, it can live on fabric for up to two days. Um, and so we just rotated our harnesses to not be used um, back to back. So they'd be, they'd be every other day kind of rotation. Um, with with our harnesses and because we didn't know exactly how to clean our harnesses properly without um, without affecting the integrity, and so that we did, we we tried to do a lot of things. I think that there's been a lot of great points that have been brought up now so far today. That yeah, now I need to think about PPE. We were we were Lysol and guides gloves and doing things like that in between tours and and they and all that stuff. But but I think so. I think there's been some good suggestions. But one thing I would say that was optimistic about it is our guests noticed it. We got so many. You know, people coming up and just saying, we, we see what you're doing. We really appreciate it. We really, I mean, it, we shrunk our tour sizes down to seven people. So even with our guides, it was still less than 10 people at the time. And people just, people noticed it. It was, a, it was, um, people really felt like they were, we were, we were taking precautions that made them feel safe. And that was a, that was at least a little bit of opt optimistic look that we, that we saw during that time. We, we definitely have a realistic look and realize we're probably only, we're, we're expecting to see 50% of our business once we can finally open again, you know, because of my that risk. But we think we put that we put all those things that we were doing, those policies in place on our on our website. We told our guests what we were doing. We reached out to our guests before they came, asking them to take away the stigma of refund or whatever. We asked we asked them if you have any symptoms, we we, we want to we will gladly reschedule. We will gladly refund. We will do you know we, we really tried and then we also did fever testing for our get our, our guides. We didn't go as far as doing fever testing for our um, for participants but that might be something we could do, but we definitely did it with our guides. So we, we used what the tools we could have at the time that we thought were, would, would, would work well. And, it, and we saw a good reaction from our guests and we still saw people, you know, if we posted that online and sent in our emails and text them beforehand to fill their waivers on, you know, on their phones and some of that, they really, they really benefited. It really showed, showed, showed to them, they saw it. Nick, was that in your Hawaiian operation or the Tennessee? It was both. Both. We, closed, we closed down both you know, beforehand because we wanted to put these things in place, but we felt like we needed some time to do that. And we also mm -hmm. were worried about, you know, um, we're, we were worried about uh, some of our guys that could potentially have been uh, affected. So we had a couple of guys that got tested that were sick and they found that they weren't, they didn't have it. But 
we just we got a little bit nervous, shut down beforehand, realized okay, everybody's still open. We reopened and we didn't show we shut down, but it but at least got us got us working on these these, these strategies yeah. really quickly. Do you yeah. think that um that was early on and now fast forward to the many deaths that now, you know, start to, you know, weigh in on the the staff thinking about coming back to work. So, you know, we wonder how much and, you know, if they're on unemployment right now and they have the bump in the unemployment that they get, they, the, the boost, um, you know, is there, are they going to come back? Because they're, you know, it, it, there's a risk to them to come back. And, yeah, great question. Our, One thing that we made sure was, was, was really told to our, our staff is that it's completely voluntary. We, there's no, I mean, if you do not feel comfortable at all, we do not want you to come in and we made that it's not there's not, no repercussions with that if you don't feel comfortable whatever i think the one thing that we're seeing with our, our our guides right now is that they see the protocol we're putting in place to keep them safe uh, right now most of them i don't know if anybody else has seen this but they haven't got the federal additional federal assistance on unemployment mm -hmm. um, and so right now they are very motivated to get back to work okay you know, the, for what we're seeing right now i think Maybe when the federal the federal government uh, kicks in the additional unemployment, it might not be as much. But right now, uh, we're definitely seeing um, people wanting to if they see that we're doing proper procedures. It's voluntary. We keep them in small groups working together, so not always mixing with a bunch of other other staff. Right. We, we keep them working together the same on the, the same group each day, and so that you know, kind of somewhat controls that as much as we can. Uh, a few people have brought up, um, you know. Nick brought it up um, as did Kima in terms of messaging for guests and a few people have brought it up in the chat uh, in terms of advanced booking changes and specifically changes to cancellation policies. Uh, Nathan, Andrew, I hope you don't mind. We're going to uh, put you on the spot since you were one of the people who brought it up. Do you have any thoughts on cancellation policies and how that might need to be adapted and kind of where your thought process is there? We put Nathan Andrew of marketing firm Blend Inc. on the spot. I think it's just really important that it's featured really prominently on your website. I mean, this has come up a couple times from other people um, in the chats and people who have been speaking. Um, I, but I posted a, a link to a site that I think is doing a decent job of featuring their cancellation policy really well. Um, but that just goes back to um you know making sure that the guest feels comfortable booking um a, a tour with you really starts on your website it doesn't really start you know when that guest shows up in person you have to create that level of comfort um on your website and i think a really easy way to do that is um featuring your your kind of COVID adjustment to your cancellation policy. And in addition to that, I think ensuring guests that you're not going anywhere, like you're not planning on closing or anything like that. I mean, people are seeing in the news all the time, different companies that are being impacted by this have gone out of business, things like that. So I think just ensuring your guests that if they make a booking with you, you know, you're not going to close your doors and that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get their money back, I guess, if, if that does happen, but I think you can ensure them that that's not going to happen. Um, so one of the things that's really interesting that we've seen is that while traffic to torn activity websites, kind of generally speaking, has dropped significantly, there are still people spending time planning and researching for their post COVID-19 you know, vacations or in a lot of cases, staycations because people aren't wanting to travel significant distances. So especially if you're in, you know, an area where there's a lot of people that can drive to your destination, um, people are on your website and they're thinking about doing your activity once this is all over. And one of the ways that you can recapture that interest is if you have remarketing pixels on your website, um, this is super easy. A lot of you probably already have this set up, but it's super easy to get set up. You can set it up for Facebook and for Google ads. Um, and then when you reopen, you can just say, you know, anybody that was on my website in the months of April, May, and June while it was closed, 
show ads, you know, to those people saying that you're reopened and talking about your COVID-19 policies. Leroy Vincent is with Timbertop Adventures in New Brunswick. He laid out his three-step plan for when they reopen. Um, you have a good three-step there that I, I would love for you to share. And it sounds like you're from Canada, so you might have some, you might have figured some stuff out up there you can share with us. <laughs> uh, we, we haven't figured anything out. We've, um, we've kind of flattened the curve a little bit in New Brunswick. And uh, unlike this, we don't have states, we have provinces. So the province of New Brunswick, we've, um, they kind of isolate everybody very quickly. And uh, so the numbers are very, very low. But it's not a herd immunity, so we don't know what the future is going to look like if we start to open things up, whether it'll just skyrocket. So we're kind of, I don't know if we're in a good situation or a bad situation, because uh, nobody really knows. But my three comments were, I mean, first off is um, we don't know when we're going to be allowed to open. We don't know whether they're going to phase us in, whether it's going to be, uh, you know, we, we, we could be looking at September before they, they relax on us and let us in. We could be as early as the first of June. So that's kind of, it's out of our hands. And the second step was um, that I was looking at is the, the federal government, the health and state safety, the Department of Health federally will have a, a series of guidelines that we're gonna have to follow, which is out of our hands. And then provincially, there'll be a provincial health and safety and they'll have a series of guidelines that we're gonna have to follow. So we're trying to right now kind of adjust our procedures and try to guess a little bit what the, the direction they're going in. We've purchased some temperature probes already. We've looked at um, maybe trying to mass purchase some um, masks and things like that and gloves that we can get, which are very, very hard to get. So if, if we were to open tomorrow and, and the procedure is everybody, ha you have to have disposable gloves and you have to have masks, we couldn't open. So I think it's something that everybody should be looking at you got to gamble a little bit. You got to roll the dice. But if you think we're going to have to go with um, with masks and with plastic gloves, if we're going to have to steam clean all of our equipment, that's stuff that we can purchase now and we can try to go ahead. It is costly because, and it is a gamble because maybe you're going to purchase it and find out you don't need it. Um, but the third thing, and I'm really piggybacking on what somebody else said, but it's I think we have to um, we have to gain the trust of all the customers that we're in it for the long run and we are doing everything possible and we're gonna exceed whatever requirements they say. Because it is all about safety. And it's gonna be hard to win back the customers, not that we've lost them, but everybody is, is going to be a little bit nervous to get out and about. Like anybody that you see out you know, at a grocery store, everybody's stressed. Nobody really likes to get close to anybody. So it will take some time, but if we start putting it on the website right now and we start to communicate that you know, we're, looking at uh, purchasing temperature probes. We're looking at everybody going to be wearing plastic. Everybody may or could have to wear um, masks. All our rescue guys, you know, they have to know their knots. They have to know all the procedures to rescue. But now they're going to have to be like first responders, so to speak. They're going to have to have a look at somebody. They may have to take the temperature. They have to, they may have to, if someone's really, really struggling and they're going to a climbing wall and they're coughing and spitting and, sweating all over the place, they may have to make that call and shut that down. And they're gonna to have to deal with those customers that are ticked off because it's taken forever to go through a course that they were in the previous year and they went through a quarter of the time. And they may have to sanitize. So they're really gonna to have to be very, very proactive. And we're dealing with, you know, they're all university students or, or, or you know, grade 11 and 12 students. So they are kids and they're going, they've been, you know, they've been tied up in the house as well. and. So we've got our whole training situation's got to be changed. So we don't know what the answer is. We're just, every day, we, myself and, and um, the owners, we get together and we just kind of throw ideas back and forth and what sounded like a great idea yesterday and we look at it today and say, you know what, that's not going to work. So I don't have any answers and Canada doesn't have any answers, but <laughs> I don't know, the more we talk, the better, we'll get, the easier we'll get. Great. Thank you. That's, that's great um, what you shared and I appreciate it. Um, you know, and, and someone had brought up the point that, you know, they're, they're 50% or more of the population just are not going to show up because they are in fear and they will be that way for a while. And those that, you know, that douche, those are the, the, the ones in the household who are making the trips to the grocery store, a little less fear. Those are the ones that we can try and build a trust with and, and, you know, work through with them. They're going to be a little bit more apt to 
taking the risk um, to show up and and uh, um, so yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, we are, um, you know, I knew this would happen. It's not enough time. We only have an hour, um, but it's the first of many discussions, um, both in this huddle format and and outside of it that we plan to have. Um, so Tom, why don't you take us a little bit through um, how we're going to take everything that we got from today and, and, and what we're going to do offline and then bring it back online. As we mentioned, you know, when we started, we're creating, uh, we want to create a number of discussion groups that uh, tackle these protocols. Um, and the first step was what we did today. The second step will be forming small groups with, uh, you know, a volunteer leader or facilitator for that group and to kind of go deep into both, you know, brainstorming as well as some of the discussion. Um, and, and what, uh, you know, any of us that have worked on um, ACT standards uh, are, are well aware of is that the, it's the people who actually write the standards who end up learning the most and being the best able to implement stuff. So this process that we're talking in step two would allow lots of people to, to flex their voice, to be part of the conversations. Today was about generating ideas. Um, the next step is about the small groups. And then we'll, we'll find a time coming up where we'll try to bring this information back in, you know, disperse it, let people share it. Um, there's lots of smart people. Let's let's all push this in together. You know, just to, to end, it's, it's just always overwhelming these calls because, you know, our task ahead of us is, is, is huge. Um, but some of the things that we're learning through um, diving into this is that, um, like on the mountain resort side, the, the small community-run resorts that have struggled in the face of the larger resorts, now it's projected that they're going to do fare better in this because people are going to stay closer to home. They're going to look, someone said it earlier, staycations. People are not going to be doing destination travel. They're going to be staying closer to home and testing the waters. And that's where I think that a lot of our um, parks can play into this if we can be smart in, in creating a, an environment that, you know, addresses some of the pent up demand to get outside and do something because we've all been, you know, locked up. And, and if we figure out a way to, to communicate that in a way that they feel safe coming, coming and showing up, um, I think we can be a great outlet for them um, and an antidote to this long period of, of quarantine. Um, and so I, I'm, that's the silver lining that I'm looking for, that we're in the right industry to address a long period of quarantine. We just have to figure out how that, that plays out. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our special Adventure Park Insider Question Storming Huddle. The debrief of this conversation, including all the questions and comments that were shared in the chat, are available for download at www.adventureparkinsider.com huddle. As for the discussion groups, Tom Leahy of Leahy & Associates and the Association for Challenge Course Technology have partnered on Next Steps. We'll publish more information as it becomes available. We will be doing these weekly calls for as long as they make sense. Each call is open to the industry, so if you would like to participate or if you have a question or topic you think we should cover, email huddle at adventureparkinsider.com. In the meantime, check out our coronavirus impact page on the API website with content to help you navigate this crisis. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSAM advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintry Mix podcast guy. I am Sarah Bordeaux, and thank you for listening to PodSAM. <laughs>